Daniel, what's up, brother? Hey, how's it going? Good. Sorry man. for the technical doing? difficulties. Oh, no worries, man. How's your day been? Uh, not bad. I went to a trade show earlier. I um, I got to shoot a machine gun and got a lot of free ammo from Trijicon, so that was pretty cool. I saw some of that on your story. They had you set up on tripods and everything. Dude, what all did you shoot? Uh, a few ARs, uh, the six-hour M17, and then the, the M240. How'd you like that? Was that your first time shooting a SIG? Uh, well, I actually bought one, but I haven't uh, been able to shoot it yet. Uh, and so when I walked up there and I saw that they had one all laid out, I just shot that, and so it was a good time. Yeah, what'd you think of it? I liked it, uh, particularly the red dot that they had on it. I thought mm -hmm. uh, it was it was really easy. I just had to kind of like gauge where I was because we were shooting steel, but um, yeah, more more dings than misses. <laughs> nice, that's always good. That ding, yeah. man, such a great sound. It's one of the best sounds in the world. Yeah, and it's also one of the most embarrassing sounds in the world when there is no ding. <laughs> that is true. Uh, so question here, um, Dan, have you tried or felt out uh, an AR-10? I don't think I have. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think I have, but um, I'm down to go find a place that rents one out and try it. Yeah, always, man. Uh, that's what's going to be weird. I retire in uh, like 19 months. And it's, oh, yeah? Yeah, dude. And it's kind of sinking in, but not really. Because I think we take a lot of it for granted. Like you've been out now for about, what, six years? A little over five. So was it a big transition for you? like mentally kind of when you got out was it were you just thrilled you served for 12 years in the marines right yeah i'd say that the the biggest mental block that i faced was coming to the realization that i was going to have to start paying for my own ammunition and penicillin <laughs> and you know i i thought that i was poor as a lance corporal but and, and until i got all until i got my budget under control i i was destitute paying for those two things on my own yeah man i got i'm a prior marine too i went into the Marines straight out of high school in 99 to 03. Uh, and I got, I couldn't wait to get out, you know, like I, we'll get into it a little bit about the benefits and stuff. Um, but I was 23 years old. I just wanted my DD-214. I couldn't wait to get out. I couldn't care less about what I was entitled to. Mm -hmm. Got to the civilian world and it was mostly to decompress. You know, I went back home, same friends that I had from high school, partying, working all the jobs, decompressing. And I woke up three years later and was like, holy shit, man, I missed the military. I just had nothing. I didn't feel like I was a part of anything. I didn't feel like I was doing anything with my life. So I, that's when I came into the Army in 07. Uh, and just it's an easier life for me, man. You know, civilian life when I got out then as a 23-year-old yeah. after doing those things in the Marines was tough. You know, but now being, being almost twice as old. Um, I'm certainly looking forward to it and, and kind of had my fill of the military and, and ready to move on. But, um, well, that's, that's good that you find your, uh, found your path. I've, uh, I've also, I've often heard people say that, uh, if you want to still be in the military, but not have to deal with the dumb shit of the Marine Corps, that the army's, uh, is a solid option if you can get the right unit. It, it can be, um, I've had, um, I'd say a, a pretty good experience, a lot more good experience than bad, but it's certainly yeah. different. It's, it's, it's different, and um, I kind of realize people always want to ask you, well, what's better, you know, the Marines or the Army? It's not a fair question because they're designed for two different things. That's yeah. like saying what's better, a sports car or an SUV. Well, what do you need it for? Are you running a quarter mile on a drag strip, or are you going up the side of a mountain? You know, it depends what you need because they're two different things, so – 
No, I totally get that. Yeah. And particularly because it is such a dependent experience on your chain of command, because mm -hmm. if you have like a, a couple uh, guys and gals in your, your chain that are really there for you, really have your back, have some common sense, it can be a completely different experience than, you know, if uh, you just have that one gunny or a first sergeant that's just out to make your life fucking miserable. Yeah. And your experience otherwise might have been just perfectly fine. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the two or three people uh, above you just being shitty can change your entire perspective. I'm going to adjust my chair real quick. Sure. Yeah, man, I've had I've had some great leaders in the, the Marines. Um, I can't really think of any necessarily bad leadership that I had in the Marines, but I've had some great in the Army. I've had some of the best leaders I've had, but I've also been in some really toxic units. I mean, I've had very hard for me to to dislike people um but i've had you know i can think of a few that i just they were very toxic individuals um yeah. you know and just disgusting people and i don't like to say that um because i want to see and bring out the best in people because i like it when people bring out the best in me um but just just some really nasty people that i hope i never have to you know run across again but anyway so uh, how was uh, your Memorial Day weekend, man? Oh, a bit melancholy. And yeah. I, I always think that the day uh, after Memorial Day is kind of a bit a uh, bit more difficult for most, at least for me in particular, because it's kind of like that uh, that hangover effect, you know? Mm -hmm. Memorial Day, it's, you know, a, a bit of a kick in the balls. But at the same time, you get to, you know, reconnect with people. You share memories uh, that you may have forgotten. You reminisce about you know, the, the people you left behind and you kind of ride a very specific high for a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, it, the, the average person doesn't, you know, know 50 or 60 people who have died. Right. But, you know, if you, if you served in the beginning of OIF or OEF, you know, you, you probably knew at least like, 10 people who died in combat and maybe another dozen or so who, you know, died in, uh, uh, from suicide or from opioids or from drunk driving or something, you know, some, yeah. some sort of activity. And after 12 years and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, after eight different commands, you know, like nine wounded warriors. Uh, yeah. So after nine different chain of commands in 12 years, like I met a lot of fucking people. Yeah. And then, you know, through social media and stuff too, it's unfortunate that, you know, as time goes on, you know, that, that list starts to get a little deeper. And so you kind of ride that one very specific wave. And then the day after Memorial Day is a bit of a hangover because, you know, you you flex so much emotion into something. And so if you're not particularly the type of poet person that, like, writes slam poetry every day, you know, it's uh, <laughs> it's kind of hard to tap into that and then not have it affect you in, in some way. Yeah. And that's a lot. Yeah, man, that, that makes sense. That makes complete sense. And that's a lot of... uh it's kind of one of maybe a few times a year when a lot of that emotion does kind of vent through, you know, a lot of times we keep it maybe compressed or below the surface or just don't acknowledge it, but that's one of those good escapes for it's where it's a legitimate time to do so. So that's, yeah. that's a good point. I'm trying to keep up. So we do kind of have a Q and a going. I'm trying to keep up guys. Um, I've seen some things, Charlie, I know you're chiming in a lot. Um, it does get deeper. So, if we miss it, ask it again. I apologize. Um, but uh, Daniel Sharp from Pop Smoke Media, man. I appreciate you joining me, brother. Um, 
we talked about it a little bit um, before you joined on while you're getting your ass kicked by the uh, technology there. Um, yeah. And I know you and I spoke about it yesterday. We're not going to go deep into it, but just kind of on that, you know, with the Memorial Day. And I, I know you said you see it every year. I feel like I saw it more this year than I really have. But about mostly veterans or active duty members getting up on a high horse and kind of being dicks about what Memorial Day is compared to Veterans Day and Armed Forces Day when civilians don't really know the difference and they're not trying to be disrespectful or rude when they ask, you know, I, it seems like I saw a lot more harshness or, or headbutting as I think Charlie or somebody said earlier. Yeah. I think it's kind of, it's one of the, the instances where the veteran community can be a bit snobbish, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, so like, I think that because it is such a personal experience because people, um, feel, you know, wounded by the loss of the, of their comrades and it's, it's something that they take to heart so much. So if they see something that is a perceived slight or disrespect, they may reply from more of an emotional space than they may be intended to. And perhaps maybe they think that a level of severity is needed to get the point across as where, you know, you, you consume so much content. So it's like, if somebody's not really sticking something in your face, it's, it's kind of hard for it to like really resonate. And so I think it's kind of a blend of it just being an emotional day. And then another aspect where there's some people out there where they kind of use it as like, a badge of honor for themselves that they have dead friends, you know, like, Oh, I'm, you know, may not, you know, be able to, you know, flash this out and the other, but like, this is the thing that I can say that, you know, like the holiday that applies to me the most, you know? And so I, I think it's kind of twofold. I think there's people out there who are just legitimately hurt and upset. And that's kind of where that comes from. And then I think there's people out there that kind of want to use that as a way to like, increase their own sense of self-importance, if that makes sense. That does. That makes complete sense, actually. Yeah, because if I'm making you feel bad about something that you have no control over, then that puts me in a position of authority. And, you know, it is what it is. Guys get out there used to be in the, you know, the E4, the E5, telling people what to do. Then Mm -hmm. they get in the civilian world. They get put in the back of the line at their new career because skills don't translate over as well. Or, you know, certifications don't carry over. So now they're the boot again. You know, and they, they got to find somewhere where they can, you know, you know, feel important. And, you know, that's that's one of those things that they can really hammer home on. And it's like, what are you going to say? You know, like, you can't really say much back to that, except for like, all right, like, we get it. Like, it's okay. It, it's tough, dude. That's the struggle that I went with when I got out of the Marines. You know, I'm 85 right before I got out as a 22, 23 year old. You know, I had three deployments in the Marines doing some cool stuff. And then all of a sudden you get out to the civilian world and, you are, you're nothing again. People don't know. And you kind of, it, I don't, I don't mean this as a joke now. It's more lighthearted, but my family refers to that as my dark years now, yeah. you know, cause I did have the chip on my shoulder, but I didn't realize it. Um, so uh, we got a question here is why do Marines take such pride in being Marines, but mostly hate the Marine Corps and countdown. That's very valid, dude. Um. <laughs> it's a, it's a bit of Stockholm syndrome. And I think it's a bit of defensiveness in your purchase because you, you purchase the title United States Marine with, uh, at a minimum four years of your life. You know, uh, if you serve all the way through, that's the contract you say, okay, 
I will give you four years, four of the best years of my mind, body, and soul. In return, I get the title, I get the GI Bill, and uh, enrolled in VA healthcare, and you know, room and board while I'm in. And so, have you ever have you ever bought something that people told you was going to suck, and then when you got it, it kind of sucked, but you can't let them know that. Yeah, you know. And then plus, it's also like a, a matter of like, hey, like, you know, that's that's my like hometown only I can talk smack about it. Like, you know, how like you can make fun of a sibling, but if some other kid in the playground made fun of your sibling, like you fucking sock him in the teeth, mm-hmm. like, you know, you don't get to make fun of my family. And that's, that's what it is. Yeah. I remember the first time that I found myself like getting defensive. This was still within, you know, as, as they like to say, like I was still shitting boot camp food. I was still under 12 months, you know, but uh, the first time that I kind of remember feeling like getting uh pissed off like defensive about somebody talking shit about the marines you know like and i thought oh shit i have pride in, in the marines i have pride in this name tape that i'm wearing but they do such a good job in boot camp of instilling that um brainwashing through, yeah through history i mean yeah. that was one thing i was surprised about man was like I, mean, I thought i went to boot camp expecting full metal jacket like i just did i didn't know any better yeah. um and I was good with it. I didn't care. You're not going to kill me. You can take the shit out of me, you know, whatever. But I got there and I'm like, this isn't that bad. And then we're doing so many classes and then the history and then the first to do this and the first to do that and where this came from. And, you know, and uh, that they, you learn so much of the history. And that's the big difference with the Marines and Army. Army, they don't teach a lot of history. So that's why you don't have as so much pride. But it's also five times the size. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, yeah, five times more people, you know, received reports for Valor. But no, you're absolutely right. And for, for those who have never been privy, uh, in the Marine Corps, every training station that you have in boot camp is more or less associated with somebody who, you know, was awarded the Medal of Honor or the Navy Cross, Bronze Star, Silver Star, um, you know, what have you. And so, like, you'll get to a thing and then there'll be like a placard with a citation they'll read the citation and vaguely make it apply to the thing that you're going to do. And then they make you do it. And then while you're doing it, they're berating you saying that if you were the person who was in that circumstance, all the Marines around you would have died. So hurry up, move faster, you know? And so they're brainwashing you to, to try to compete with, fuck, I just realized this. I'm going to have to do a whole podcast about this, but (laughs) they are mentally training you to compete and compare yourself to the best Marines that have ever existed. Mm -hmm. You know, and they make you think that if you couldn't have do, done the same thing that John Bastlone did, if you could have, couldn't have done the same thing that, you know, Dan Daly did, then you're a piece of shit, you know, and it's not yeah. that it's just these were exceptional human beings that were, you know, uh, you know, like the, the citations say brought the highest credit to, you know, the uh, the Navy and the Marine Corps. And so they, they train you to compare yourself to these legendary warriors. Mm-hmm. And then they wonder why, like, you know, some 19 year old kid who works in reverse osmosis purification you know who purifies water out of fucking you know sewers why that why this kid is strutting around thinking that he is god's gift to the military you know <laughs> plus he probably just watched in the army now he's Polly shore and andy dick styling it <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if anybody's seen that but i'm sure you have yeah um, good movie yeah if we miss any questions guys send them again please we'll try to keep up um so I'm looking forward to a couple of these first uh, topics that we're going to go over because I don't really know much about them at all. Um, and uh, it sounds like you have pretty good depth of knowledge and you are pretty active with this. 
and this first one, as far as VA reform goes, you know, you spoke on it a little bit yesterday in our conversation. Uh, can you uh, educate us on that, man? Like what, uh, what's some good starting points, say, for somebody like me who may be transitioning out, who wants to do something, a civilian who had an uncle that was retired Navy that wants to help? Um, what are the issues and how can we actively fix them? So whether it's related to the VA or anything else, one of the best things that you have is writing, calling, emailing, or visiting your elected representatives. Mm -hmm. I have spent a fair amount of time up at the Capitol talking to, you know, congressmen, senators, and one of the biggest things that they always kind of use um, as their, their pushback is, well, I haven't heard anything about this issue from my constituents. No one in my district has, you know, called my office about this issue. Mm -hmm. And essentially, you, you have to uh, remember that although they are appointed to the U.S. government, all their loyalties as far as maintaining their position have to be to the people who fund them and the people who vote for them. Mm -hmm. And so we can say, oh, yeah, why is, you know, uh, this state have a, you know, crappy VA system or why does, you know, the, the government do this or whatever? And it's just like, OK, well, if I put it out there, like you guys got to take the time to call, write, email, go visit. Like you got to harass them into, you know, paying attention to an issue because mm -hmm. if they don't think that the people who are voting for them care about this issue, then they're going to spend their time thinking, uh, working on the issues that they think their voters care about. So if they get 100 emails a day and they get 100 phone calls a day and they get, you know, um, you know t 100 visitors in a month and they look at all these things and they chop it down, be like, OK, 40 um, percent of people in here were complaining about taxes. 30 people in here were complaining about education. 20 people were percent were, uh, you know, complaining about the roads and one percent were complaining about the VA healthcare. Mm. They're not going to pay attention to it that much because it's a really small issue to them. So if we're not in there, I mean, there, there's like 14 million veterans in this country. Like we could blow up their phones. Grunstyle did a fantastic example of this when they shut down the national parks a few years ago during sequestration. Yeah. They launched this huge campaign and like people were just like blowing up all their, their representatives phone lines. And within like two days, the parks were back open. All the memorials were back open. And so like, if we bring that kind of force and power, we can get these things passed but it's kind of one of those things where a like and a comment or an angry rant in your truck doesn't do anything. Like you have to contact your representative to actually have some, something um, become of it. Which it makes perfect sense, man. And Charlie, I saw your question. We'll, we'll get to that in a second, man. Um, I, and I have to admit, like I, I'm in and I don't even know the state of my VA <laughs> in in north carolina or or how it will be in alabama um so i mean i'm at fault too how do we i don't know man how do you how do you get something that's not moving in motion so first things first you got to find out who your representatives are mm -hmm. um, look up you know your your congressman your senators your uh governor and you know set a meeting uh you may not get to see the elected official themselves but nine out of 10 times, somebody from the office will meet with you, particularly if you're persistent. You say, I am one of your constituents or I live in your district and I want to talk about this issue. Most of them have a scheduling thing on their website. And you, like I said, you may not meet with the senator or the congressman at first, but you're going to meet with one of their staffers. And if you ever watch a show like West Wing 
you know, you, or if you ever like walk the halls of Congress, like, you know, that the staffers do the majority of the research and the homework, and then they brief their, their person, the person makes the decision. And then that's how they vote when they're on the floor. So like mm-hmm. getting a conversation with the staffer is not bad. And so, you know, you, you send an email, you make a call, you walk in, um, a lot of the DC offices are closed right now, but a lot of like the regional offices are open. So you can go visit them and meet with the staffer. And then after that, um, once you got the meeting scheduled, you got to look at their voting record mm. because that the proof is in the pudding there, because if they're voting against veteran issues and you like in your heart of hearts know that that was a bill that should have been passed, because we all know that there's sometimes it's like a big flashy bill, but then there'll be like one little writer in it that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And people are like, I'm not going to vote for that because that one line of a thousand is stupid. Yeah. And everybody's just like, oh, well, they, you know, they hate the puppies. And it's like, no, they didn't hate the puppies. They just didn't want to, you know, make something, um, make something of the law that they didn't agree with. So you got to look at their voting record and then kind of use that. Be like, hey, I've seen that you've supported this issue. Here's something similar you know, print out Google reviews of the VA hospital if you have an issue with it. Be like, why does this VA hospital have a 1.8 out of a five-star review? And then show them some of the things, you know? And so it's like, you find your issue, you set the meeting, you begin the conversation, then you have to find like-minded people. Mm -hmm. Because if there are other people out there that agree with you, either they've already done some of this work or they'll be willing to help you. So that's the second step. Yeah, you're going to have to go through gatekeepers uh, like the staffers. I mean, I think anybody who's, an adult who's over 18 years old knows that there's going to be gatekeepers, especially in something like that. And it sounds like you need to know what you're talking about for them to take you seriously. You need to know. I think that's excellent. Knowing the, the voting record, what they've done. So that makes perfect sense, man. That's something that's so easy to do. Why aren't more of us doing it? Do you think? I think because it, um, it is definitely a side quest. Mm-hmm. You know, we all kind of have our main campaign in life. And uh, this is, you know, the goals and achievements that we have. And then and an optional side quest will come up. And I'm not, I'm not trying to guilt anyone because there yeah. are, you know, there's tens of thousands of charities and issues that deserve attention. Mm-hmm. You as a human being don't have enough bandwidth to care about all the things that deserve to be cared about, right? Mm-hmm. And so now it just becomes an issue where, like, if we can't get enough people to care about this issue, then things won't get done. But to me, like, I think issues like human trafficking and... Um, and you know, things like that, like to me, that's like super high on my priority. I'm like mm-hmm. the veterans hospitals can be a little shitty if we can get all like these people like off the street, but we're not even doing that. It's like, we have spread our efforts so far out that nothing actually gets accomplished. So the idea is that you have to kind of pick the battles that you can win, be like, okay, you know, this is the way that things are looking right now. If we can push this bill through, you know, get that touchdown, get on the scoreboard. You know, if we can get this resolution passed, if we can get a, a committee to meet and, you know, order uh, a, um, a study into a certain thing. Cause we're going to use that. And, you know, this next thing, like you got to take your victories where you can get them because we have become so like scatter minded as a country where we've become hyper aware of all these problems in our society and our culture and uh, our, our um, the way that we're governed and the way that we live and healthcare and regulations and the environment, all these things that we're hyper aware of all these things that are going on around us and nothing is actually getting fixed because everyone's just trying to stomp out the little media fires. Mm-hmm. They're more worried about public image and, and, you know, keeping things like the status quo versus actually accomplishing things that could be beneficial. Mm-hmm. And, and almost what's trending. If something's trending, then, Hey, let's 
let's work on it now. And then as soon as it's not training anymore, let's move on to what's next. Yeah. So um, real quick, let me address uh, Charlie's question. Um, he was a second award. He said something like, how should he feel about being a second award corporal? I was a second award Lance corporal. Um, if you don't know what that means, uh, he was a corporal twice. It means he went down a grade and went back up. It means you were demoted and you got promoted again. I was a second award Lance, man. Uh, I don't see any shame in it. And to me, that's pretty good. You made NCO twice. Uh, yeah. You got it back. That's, you know, that's harder to do than just becoming a Lance corporal again. So it's no kind of a flex because a lot, the whole terminal Lance brand exists because for a while there, you weren't guaranteed to get E4 in your first four years. So, mm-hmm. you know, way to, way to flex on half the infantry community. Like, some of, some of them couldn't even get E4 once. You got it twice. So, yeah. yeah. That's so – I would say pride in that, man, you know. Um, and so in the Army, you become a real – they do have corporals, but it's way different. Um, so really becoming an NCO in the Army is E5, is a sergeant. Um, so – Kind of staying on that topic, um, and I kind of fall into this one right now. Um, you had, again, touched on this yesterday's is feeling is it's important as for guys getting out, I guess, retiring, um, uh, just finishing in their contract, moving on, and then maybe veterans that have been out uh, about getting your benefits started now. You know, I mean, you, you earned them. You were entitled to them, but yet so many of us don't get them. Yeah, it um it really comes down to just kind of being aware of what you rate. You know, you're you're not asking for anything that wasn't a part of the contract that you signed. You're not asking for anything that isn't owed to you by by law. So, you know, if as long as we're, you know, playing the uh, you know, the idea that like okay, you're you're applying for what you rate. I know there's a couple people out there that scan the system, but you know, we we don't include them in us. Like we all know they're they're turds, so we're talking about you know the the this like the kind of baseline service member honorable discharge getting out you deserve what you rate and so you're not asking for anything more than what's owed to you you know if you didn't get paid on the first or the 15th you'd be like hey where's my paycheck mm-hmm. like i'm owed that and it's the same thing with your benefits so up to a year before you get out you are authorized to take the transition program uh, seminar whatever your branches one is mm-hmm. and you're authorized to take it as many times as you want. I think some bases have like a one a month kind of thing, uh, but you can take it multiple times before you get out. And then in that, you'll find out that six months before you get out, you rate to start filing your disability pain, uh, compensation. So essentially what you do is you take your medical record to a VA rep. A lot of uh, naval hospitals have VA reps who have offices there. Um, and love you too. <laughs> and so uh, you take that, they look over, they, they make copies, they pen through, and they say, okay, we believe that you are eligible for these things. They submit it, you'll do exams, and if you do it six months before you get out, it, you kind of get sent to the front of the list versus if you wait till you get out, you kind of get put in the back of the list because mm-hmm. there's guys from Vietnam who are still filing benefits brand new now. And so there's a bit of a backlog there. But six months before you get out, you can put that in. And I got my first check, I think, two months after I had separated. Mm-hmm. which was super cool because that allowed me to pursue a uh, a small business venture that I had done the entrepreneur track to do when I got out. Mm-hmm. And so I did that for a couple of years. I, uh, I sold it and I went into social media full time. And so because I was able to file for that disability compensation, I didn't have to worry about my rent. I didn't have to worry like, you know, about my truck payment. 
I could just focus on the business, which was awesome, you know, because you're not always afforded that opportunity as a small business owner. Uh, but if you haven't done it, I would say the first thing you have to do is get your, your medical records. You can order them. If you don't have them, it takes a little bit of time, but you'll get them. Then you can go through uh, My Healthy Vet, and there's a portal where you can apply for benefits online. If you have applied for uh, disability compensation, you can add things on there as well. I was at 60% for a while, and then I, um, I filed something else in that I think that maybe my first adjuster had missed, and it bumped up. And so it doesn't matter how long you've had that you can always apply for new things yeah. and they'll just give you a yes or a no rating as far as what whoever examines you for that will say. So I, I would say if, you, if you've been waiting to do it, if you've been looking for a sign, this is it. Go ahead and file your disability compensation. And it's not a mark against your character or your ability to perform your job or, you know, a, a comment on you. It's just a fact of matter. If you trash a hotel room or a rental car, you got to pay the fees. And if the military rode you hard and put you away wet, they got to pay the damages. That's a great analogy, dude. I love that analogy right there. I mean, they did. The, and they, they do that, dude. That's why their target market is 18 to 25. That's when you're in your prime. They are. They're going to tear you up, dude, like, like a hotel room or a rental car. They're going to treat you like a rental car, man. If you guys have any questions, shoot them out while we're talking. Um, you got a great resource here with uh, Daniel. So um shoot them out to us we'll try to keep up um yeah we are we are literally rentals um kind of staying on topic a little bit this was something else you had mentioned um as far as the opioid epidemic yeah uh, i think a, a lot of people have heard about um and i liked what you mentioned too that there are a lot of uh, alternative therapy that you can do yeah not to discount anybody who is going through a severe amount of pain but you know, study after study have shown that uh, there are alternatives that people who, you know, begin high-level opioid uh, prescriptions uh, usually have complications of one sort or another. And so we all know that, uh, you know, it is a risk. And so the VA has started doing alternative uh, treatments to that. And they've noticed that the number of opioids that they have prescribed has gone down exponentially this year. And it's, uh, it, it's kind of really unfortunate because it got bad there for a while. There were a lot of veterans who were, you know, overdosing or mixing drugs or, you know, taking um, opioids with alcohol and they were dying that way. And it got to the point where they started having to put up signs in the ER that they cannot prescribe opioids there because mm -hmm. veterans would come in and like fake injuries or, you know, be going through withdrawal symptoms and they would be demanding opioids in the emergency room, which is kind of like the quickest way to get treatment. And so they had to like shut that off because uh, it was such a problem. And then so the VA recognized that. And, you know, this was something that was an example of the community coming together and saying that this is an issue that we need to fix it and getting uh, elected representatives involved. And the VA made a policy shift and then they started um, opening up budget for alternative treatment. So there is an example of something that has been fixed in the VA recently. And as a result of that, they've been giving out less opioids, which, you know, statistically speaking, less of our brothers and sisters are going to die from overdosing on. So that's going back, um, not full circle, but going back a few conversations as far as VA reform or reform in general. This is an example of shit works is is that's a good example, right? Showing that, hey there was a problem, it was addressed, and now it's been fixed. 
in a sense it's being worked on yeah yeah so that's good right there uh what are some of the I, i'm just curious what are some of the alternative uh measures do you know offhand so um yoga believe it or not is actually a mm -hmm. huge uh important part of reducing body pain and mm -hmm. so it, it each person will be uh individually different but say for example you have somebody who had low mobility because they were an airborne ranger high in the sky and now their knees and their lower back are shot mm -hmm. and as a result they don't pt as much they maybe get a little depressed because they don't you know they're they're not as young and athletic they eat a little bit more they gain some weight and now their issues are worse well you know if you were to take that person and put them into um, uh, a, a different uh, treatment plan where they're decreasing their their body weight and increasing their mobility Studies have shown that statistically speaking, those two things will help relieve, will alleviate body aid. And now it's not going to make them magically disappear. Right. Like if you're a 47 year old with bad airborne knees, you're going to be a 47 year old with bad airborne knees. Like, right. Take some shark cartilage. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. But the idea is that you just want to make it to the point where they don't feel like they need to pop a Vicodin or a Percocet to be able to make it through the day. You know? Yeah. I've done uh, yoga um, regularly for a while. It was a long time ago, and I was at Fort Riley, and I've done some hot yoga. I mean, it's, I was just doing it with to help with mobility and, and running and stuff like that, but it, I loved it, man. It, it helps yeah. a lot. Yeah, uh, Charlemagne has a good point. A Diamond Dallas Page, the old professional mm -hmm. wrestler, yeah. started a yoga program, and he's, uh, he's helped a lot of veterans with mobility issues. Mm -hmm. Even just what he did with Jake the Snake Roberts was, was pretty amazing. He's taken a lot of the old wrestlers and helped them because they're beat up as well. Yeah. And so that's that's um, that's one approach. The the yoga, the reducing the amount of weight that, uh, that your joints and, and your body carries, that's a very important part. Um, another aspect of it is finding more ergonomic things. Like if you have lower back issues and you sit in a chair that's not – designed for the curve of your spine mm -hmm. then it's going to make things worse if you don't have a pad if you know if you're not doing light stretching if you're not going to physical therapy all these things are going to compound and make the pain so unbearable that you think that oh man like i need to you know take medication for this and again none of this is a silver bullet that's going to fix everything but the idea is if you can take down your pain 10 percent, 20 percent, 30 percent, whatever the case is that may be the difference between a Tylenol and a Percocet, you know? Yeah. And it's it's very similar how you can kind of spiral downhill with that stuff. You can start to, I mean, it sounds weird, but you kind of spiral and goes the other way where you start to improve things. And then, you know, you improve this and then this and then this. Other things go with it, you know? So yeah. they're going to kind of snowball either good or snowball bad. So once you start to make that change, and you see that and you see that it makes you feel better, you know, you're going to continue on, you know, to, to chase that healthier feeling or the lack of as much pain or those types of things. Yeah. So, and uh, yeah, uh, Charlie, you're absolutely right, man. I've seen Jake talk about it a lot. Same with DDP. Uh, it's good stuff. I don't know if you've ever done hot yoga. I did, um, when I was uh, recruiting in Missouri, they would do like the community classes. So it was cheaper because that stuff can get expensive. But it was yeah. kind of, there was a cheaper class on Mondays we do. So it was kind of like the, I guess the hot yoga, there's different kinds you can do. I did it where it was kind of the chill, um, chi type centering where the room is just hot as hell. But there's some where it, it's like extra, like straight up hardcore exercising in the hot yoga room. I did the, the um, 
more cheese centering stuff, but I really liked it. Um, but it's good stuff, man. Um, so there's stuff out there. Uh, and th those are all excellent points. It's just uh, a matter of everything. Again, like issues with the VA and your own benefits and increasing that it, it takes some effort. Uh, I think that's a big problem with a lot of stuff these days. You know, it takes effort and people, a lot of people don't necessarily want to do that. Plain and simple. Yeah. And it's kind of, it really comes down to mental resiliency. Mm -hmm. If you are uh, in a, in a position where you are looking to be more mentally resilient, you're inherently going to be so. And if you're in a position where you have been emotionally or mentally wounded by things and maybe you're a little bit more down on your luck, it might be harder to kind of fight back from things, particularly if you've had multiple stress injuries in the same area of your life. It may be harder to get back. Like, say you go out to Iraq and you get cheated on while you're deployed. And then, you know, that, that really hurt. But, you know, you had your boys there. You deployed again. You had the mission. Then 10 years later, you get cheated on again. Mm -hmm. Like, it's going to hurt worse the second time. Yeah. And so there will be a lot of people who are, are going to be more prone to that type of stress injury. And so the idea is that, you know, you have to always be looking to either uh, fortify or sharpen your mental resiliency. And um, we had actually came up with a list of uh, the top five, like kind of quick tips for, for mm -hmm. mental resiliency, because you always hear about how you should be mentally tough, mm -hmm. but not a lot of people tell you how to do it outside of smoking you in a sandpit, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, we did. And when you mentioned that yesterday that, Hey man, won't you come up with the top five? That's such a good idea. So I've, uh, in, in the army, it's uh, called MRT master resiliency trainer. Um, I went to that course almost a decade ago. So I've taught that to numerous, numerous soldiers in the army privates up to, you know, my first sergeants and everything. Uh, and real yeah, quick, I did, um, operation stress control and readiness, Oscar mm -hmm. in the, uh, in the Marines. And I was the NCOIC for that program for a couple of years yeah. uh, in my unit, not, overall but my i was my my unit's suicide prevention trainer uh, oscar trainer uh never leave a marine behind mlan i think i ended up like with like six certifications in that and that's one of the biggest reasons i haven't killed myself because i'm just like <laughs> oh man i told all these other people not yeah. to kill themselves so if i kill myself i'm gonna look like a loser <laughs> you're right yeah i mean you're right that's a good thing and charlie you're right man finding your tribe feels amazing um, and just kind of talking about closing loop on what we were talking about, whether it's yoga. I'm just starting um, bladesmithing. I got hooked on Forge on Fire, bought my yeah. putting together Caps Forge, man. I'm going to start making blades. It's something, you know, find something. I, I say this almost every episode of this I do, that you never know what you're going to like until you try it. You know, there's a ton of stuff in the community to do, so try it. You may like it. If you don't, you've established now that you don't like it. Move on to something else. Yeah. Is that your number one tip or has the list not started yet? No, we haven't started yet. I want to do address Charlie. I just, so, um, and that was a gorgeous transition into the resiliency too, by the way, Daniel. Well done. I do what I do. That was good. Um, so, yeah, we did the top five. And this is in no particular order. And these are kind of tools and then do's and don'ts type of thing. But these are things that you can put in your toolkit to being resilient. Um, and like anything else, the, they're tools and skills. So the more that you use them and do them, the better you're going to get with them. It's not a one-time thing. And all of a sudden, oh, it didn't work. So don't try it again. Well, you got to keep trying it and, you know, try it over and over. And before long, it's, you're going to get better at it. Uh, so the Much like one, it, no. 
What's that? Much like anal. Yes. <laughs> Several comments for that. I'll keep them to myself. Um, <laughs> the first one that we'll go over, though, is, is being self-aware. You have to be oh. self-aware in order to self-regulate. Uh, meaning, if you know that something is, is going to activate you, is going to piss you off, you can better prepare for that. You know, it's not catching you off guard because I'm the type that I, when I was a kid, I had a really bad temper. Uh, I've learned to control that uh, a little bit. But for instance, last week we had to, I uh, won't be specific, but on Fort Bragg, we had to go and check out some equipment to use. And we knew that it's like, oh man, if we have to deal with this one old cop knocker, he's an ass and he just hates life. And he's <laughs> You know, we knew that going in. So it's Yeah, like, grumpy old cactus. Yeah, man. So it's like, all right. I'm because I'm the type that uh, I've taught um, situational awareness for a long time, and I studied body language and kinesics and that type of stuff. So I'm very in tune when I'm communicating with somebody, not just the words. I know what people are saying, and I pick it up real quick. And I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to you how you're talking to me, um, and so I have no problem being a dick to you real quick. So I have to kind of check myself before I even go in. I'm like, all right. It's going to take two seconds. All you need is to get the equipment, sign it up. doesn't matter if he's a prick. You're out of here soon. He's the one that sucks at life. You know, but you have to be in tune and self-aware of what things piss you off, make you sad. I, I'm trying to avoid using the word trigger because that's so watered down in, in society today. I hate that word now. Um, what stress injuries you're vulnerable to. Yeah, man. So yeah. you have to be self-aware. Um, in order to self-regulate and especially if you if you find yourself starting to get worked up whether it's worked up in anger worked up emotionally um, however it is you can hey I'm aware of that now I can regulate it uh, and it gets much easier I think the more that you do it uh, that's something that I found that helps me a lot I don't know about you um, or anybody else listening yeah I think being the self-aware part is very important because you have to remind yourself things that seem very important in the moment. You have to ask yourself, is this going to affect me in six months? You know, and, you know, say I'm dealing with somebody in Walmart and they're, you know, they're just you know, being inconsiderate and, you know, blocking the way or just being rude, you know, and, you know, my first you know instinct is just like, okay, well, Jesus said the other turn, the other cheek, not turn their other cheek, you know, and so I have to put it in perspective, like, okay, are they a terrorist? You know, are they, you know, are they doing something that's going to cause light, loss of life, limb or eyesight? No, they're not. So at the very least, they cannot make me more angry than a five. Like I have to cap this, you know, mm. as if they're just being rude, like I'm not going to pull out my, my everyday carry and smoke them, you know, like that's just <laughs> not an option. So I, you know, you, 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 <laughs> you put the cap there, you know, and you're like, okay. No matter what is done or said, I'm not going to allow myself to get angry in this because unless it escalates to something else, and then that's a different conversation, you know, just constantly working that OODA loop. But as far as this situation goes, it's not that serious. I'm not getting shot at in Iraq. No one's dying. It's not a layered ambush. I don't have casualties. My radio is working, you know, like I'm okay. I will make it through this. And a month from now, I won't even remember what this person looks like. So I cap that anger at like a five at max, you know, because I'm self-aware enough to like realize that this is not a situation that I'm worth. I'm, I'm uh, willing to go to jail over, you know, 
I had one today. I'm, I'm a fairly aggressive driver. I, I, I can drive like an asshole. I just can't. I, I don't know why I'm in a, uh, you know, I'm the, I'm the hurry up and wait type driver. Uh, and no. today we had to go in for this brief when the brigade uh, CSM and um, commander are telling us stuff and it was a whole blah, blah. That just put me in a foul mood coming out of that. And I didn't like being in a foul mood. So I'm driving. I'm just in a foul mood type of thing coming home. And uh, this lady, I can see clear as day, she's driving on her phone, and it's in a 45, and she's going slower than 45. Pisses me off. I'm usually like, hey, let's keep it about eight or nine over the speed limit, right? And I feel that's safe and yeah. doable. So I get up on her. She's in the left lane, you know? Yeah, she was in the left or lane. Not in the left lane, in the right lane, yeah. But she was in the left lane doing this. That's what I'm saying. Like, at the very least, not in the left lane. Like, if you're going to go under the speed limit, at least get in the slow lane. Yeah, yeah. But she had no clue because she's on her phone. So I go around her real aggressive, and I, I don't brake check real hard, but I slow down to let her know, and I make eye contact with her in my rear view, and I see her, you know, and I do some <laughs> hand motion. I didn't flip her off. There was no nothing vulgar or anything like that. Plus, I was in uniform. Yeah. But it was, you know, I was like, get off your fucking phone. And yeah. uh Anyway, kind of still going along, whatever. And we end up next to each other at a stoplight here. And I kind of figure I'm watching her the whole time still. And she pulls up and her window's down. So I'm like, oh, I'm putting my window down. I'm ready for whatever. I got my hand on my heat, you know, whatever. What's up? But yeah. I could tell that she was kind of emotionally shook. And she's like, what was I doing wrong? She asked me. And genuinely, she wasn't being a bitch. Because I was ready to reply in a confrontation, you know. Yeah, return and, fire. Uh, yeah. But uh, she, she genuinely asked me. She, I think even the first thing out of her mouth was, thank you for your service. She was trying to de-escalate. Uh, and she said, what was I doing wrong? And I said, you were concentrating more on your phone call than you were your driving. And she's like, I was doing 43 and a 45. It's like, exactly. You're, you're starting to fall below the speed limit, which is going to interrupt the flow of traffic, and you're on your phone. That's what yeah. you're doing wrong. And she said, well, I just wanted to know. And I, you know, she's like, thank you for letting me know. I wanted to correct it. And I, I said, thank you for your conversation. Thank you for asking me and having dialogue right now. Yeah. It's not a confrontation. It was. It, I genuinely appreciated that. Instead of her pulling up like, hey, you son of a bitch, what do you think, blah, blah. She did. She's like, hey, what was I doing? Let me know. And, yeah. and so I replied. It was, we had genuine dialogue from that instead of, you know, a confrontation or something. And I really appreciated that. Um, so anyway, I didn't mean to, to go on a tangent, but that happened today. So it was kind of nice. Um, no, all good. What's your number two? So number two we got, and I've been working on this one the last, I'd say, probably year. This is a new one I've been working on, is don't expect anything from anyone. All of these things we're going over are relative, okay? And that doesn't mean, oh, you're on your own in this world and nobody, you know, owes you shit, blah, blah, blah. It's not what I'm saying. Uh, you know, if, if you've ever heard this before or you've ever practiced it, you know, if you don't expect anything from anyone, you're, you're never going to be let down. First off, you're never going to be let down in a negative manner. Um, but then if they do, the person does do something that they said they were going to, that's even like extra. That's whatever you want to say, the icing on the cake or the star for whatever. But we get hung up too much on like on people's words or empty promises or counting on people. They don't mm -hmm. come through this and that. If you just, if you don't expect much and you don't get much, you're not disappointed. You know, I, I don't know if I'm yeah. explaining that 
correctly towards not a negative thing. I'm not saying have a negative perspective of it, but. Yeah, I think it's um, uh, the, the definition of anger is unfulfilled expectations. You know, if you have the expectation that whoever's in the left lane of the highway is going to drive, you know, eight to nine miles over the speed limit, and then they're driving two under the speed limit, that doesn't meet your expectation. And so the, the emotion of anger is produced. And so I think that kind of ties into just having realistic expectations, you know? Yeah. You, we, we kind of uh, sometimes overestimate our own sense of, uh, of um, impact in our community. Some people have an overdeveloped, underdeserved uh, sense of entitlement as well. And so if you are having those realistic expectations, it's harder to be let down because like when I was driving to, um, to DC for Memorial day, I kind of expected that there was going to be some shitty traffic. Mm -hmm. So when I got there and there was bad traffic, I was like, I expected this. Yeah. I, 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 I took this into consideration when I did my risk assessment. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, because all things, you know, in life is just, is the juice worth the squeeze. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I said, okay, well, you know, I'd, I'd like to be in DC for Memorial day, go to the Vietnam wall, like, hang out with, you know, one of my buddies up there. Like, I think that'd be nice. I know it's going to be traffic. I know it's gonna be busy. I know it's gonna be hard to park, but the juice is worth the squeeze. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was saying like, you know, just managing your expectations where if you're not always expecting everyone to bend over backwards for you and, you know, solve all your problems for you. Cause like you said, there are some times where you're the one who has to do the work. Mm -hmm. a, a lot of the times, if you want, if you want something, if you want something, you want something to change, you want to achieve something, it takes action from you. You know, I saw somebody, probably Charlie, you know, it's like, hey, it takes action. Um, expectation management is perfect with that. Uh, and I've tried, I do my best with this. This one I started to try to implement practice a while ago is I try not to open my mouth and say that I'll do something unless I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like lip service used to be easy when you're younger. Oh yeah, man. Hey, I'll do that. I'll do this. I'll do that. I try not to open my mouth now and say that I'm going to do something unless I, by God, I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, to me, that means a lot. I try to, I, it, nobody else knows anything that, you know, I'm, I'm real <laughs> big on assuming people can read my mind <laughs> a lot of times. Um, but to me, when I say I'm going to do something that means a lot that I'm saying that because I'm not going to say it if I'm not going to do it. Yeah. That's something that I've tried to practice. So it, it goes both ways, you know, with don't expect much from anybody else. But if you say you're going to do something, then don't open your mouth unless you're going to follow through with it. You know? Yeah. Uh, the next one, I've been hearing this all the time. Like I said, man, I got hooked on that forge on fire. Um, so I don't know if you guys have seen that show, but the bladesmiths that, you know, have to leave the forge, all of them walking out. Almost every one of these guys, even if they get second place, barely anybody that doesn't win, you know, they say, I didn't lose. I learned. You either win or you learn. There's no losing. Yeah, because if um, if something doesn't work out, you're not starting over from scratch. You're starting over from experience. Exactly. That's how plain and simple that is. I mean, I hear that now. The first time that I heard that, that I really heard it, I mean, where it stuck and I thought about it, I'm like, holy shit. Like, that's a perspective that you have to change to because we get wrapped up on, you know, did you win or you lose? You know, you got to train to win and you lost, get better, and don't lose again. But shift your perspective 
two, you know, there's two columns, the win column and the learn column. I don't know if I'm doing it right, but you, you get it. You know, you didn't, like Daniel said, you know, you're not starting from scratch. You're starting with that experience, whatever it is. And these things, you may have heard of all these. You may already put these in motion. They're basic concepts, but the more that you practice them, like I said, the easier they get. It's real easy to say them, you know, but the more that you practice, the easier that they get, you know. Uh, Charlie, are you talking about rejoining? Are you talking about going back in? Uh, all right, so my fourth one, we'll go to the fourth one while he um, clarifies the question. This one, for anybody that's in the Army, this sounds cheesy, and I apologize, but it's a great one. Um, it's called Hunt the Good Stuff. I don't. Have you ever heard that before? No, I don't think I have. Okay, so it's a very basic concept. Maybe when you get when you get the poo-poo face on, when you get down in the dumps, when you get sad, depressed, angry, lonely, you know, the, the sad blue face, uh, look, hunt for, look for the things that make you happy, whatever they are. Um, but very, it, this sounds stupid, but I use an example all the time because it works for me. And this is what's going to work for you, whatever it is. Um, like I happen to love my car, <laughs> you know, I have a, a Dodge Charger that's got the full brush guard on it that I like because I totaled my last one on a deer. That's why I have the brush guard. Um, yeah. But I just love that car. It makes me happy, <laughs> you know. So and it's something stupid. Right. But to me, it, it helps me to kind of grab my anchor and start to center myself and, and refocus. Look for the good things in your life, whatever they are. No, you're absolutely right, because um, the most dangerous place you can be when it comes to a, um, a mental health injury is a period of isolation. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's, you know, that's why they say when, you know, people start to give away their possessions that mean things to them, then that's, you know, a huge red flag mm -hmm. because, you know, they're, they're cutting the things that tether them to this world. Mm -hmm. And so you know, looking for things in your life that you care about will remind you how many strings you have holding you down to this world instead of just floating away, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, um, I always said that even in the absence of everything else, if everything else, you know, you're able to justify or explain away, you know, to your own mind, because you know, when you're in a dark place, you know, it's easy to like kind of um, rain on your own parade, you know? Like, oh, well, you know, like my family would miss me. But like, yeah, you know, they get the SGLI money. So like, you know, they'd be taken care of. Well, you know, like the, um, you know, the soup kitchen would miss me. Like, oh, they'll be fine. They're getting new volunteers all the time, you know. And so like you're, you're trying to explain these things away. And it's like at the very least, at the end of the, the day, the bottom of the barrel, the one reason you will always have to stick around is that you can make the world a better place for someone else. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times people don't want to die. They just don't want to be in the amount of pain that they're in. And when you are able to give someone else uh, something, whether it's community service, time, effort, money, volunteering, you know, even just police calling um, a sidewalk with, you know, from litter, like if you're able to give something of value to someone else, whether it be a clean sidewalk to walk on or, you know, man hours at the soup kitchen or at the Humane Society or whatever the case is, you just have you have that golden ticket that says like, OK, I could still be a force for good in this world. And I just want to leave this world a better place by the time that I leave. And it, like, there's been points where I've been there and I'm telling myself like, okay, well, 
I'm not going to kill myself today because I got I got a shift at the Humane Society. You know, I got to get those puppies adopted. I got to get those, you know, kittens into to new homes. And so like having that one thing, it's not about me. It's about trying to help the community and finding those sense of purposes because each and every one of us can do things to better our environment and our immediate community. And so at the bottom of the barrel, you have that reason to stick around because you can make the world a better place. And if you think things are so bleak and, you know, um, um, so so bad and it's you know the world is such a terrible place that you don't want to exist it anymore then make it better you know even if it's not for you even if you say that okay i'm just going to postpone this you know for for a little while being able to make the world a better place for someone else will give you such a sense of self-worth that it may be the thing that you need to weather the storm so i have charlie i saw your question and we'll come back to that i have a story that i used to tell in when I would be teaching class that goes exactly with this because you're dead on. There was a story of the kid on the shoreline that a storm had washed up just thousands of starfish are littering the beach. Right. And um, this couple's walking along and they see this little kid, 10 year old kid would pick up one starfish at a time and throw it back in the water. And he'd reach down the kid to pick up another one, throw it back in the water. And the couple sees this, the, the man, you know, seeing this kid, he's like, you, he finally gets up to the kid and he says, why are you even wasting your time? You're never going to make a difference with these starfish. Kid doesn't say a word. He reaches down, picks up a starfish. He throws it in the water and he says it mattered to that one. He picked up another one, threw it in the water and he says it mattered to that one too. So yeah. the impact you have on people, a lot of times we don't do these things because we say, oh, what does it matter? We're not changing anything. We're not helping anyone. We're not making anybody happy. You make one person happy. You change one person's life, it's worth it. That's the starfish that you just threw in the water. But we mm -hmm. think that, oh, because it's not 100 people, it's not 1,000 people, I'm not making any difference. You make a difference and you don't even know it. You have that opportunity. I mean, that, that story resonates with me big time. Like, I get emotional when I think about that because I know instances in my life, even when I was a kid and in high school and things like that, that people have made such an impact on me and they had no idea. Because I would talk to him years down the road. You know, I would say, hey, hey, Daniel, man, when I heard you speak in that convention seven years ago, you know, in Lejeune, you, that really resonated with me, man. And that's when I changed and that's when I turned and that's when I blah, blah. And, you know, you're thinking it's like, holy shit, you don't even, I didn't even know you were there. Brother, man, you have no idea. Like, I have so many people message me because I've been doing this for years, you know, five, ten years before I even got out of the military. I was doing those classes and stuff. And people are like, oh, you know, thank you for, for the stuff like that. I'm like, man, if I can't kill myself if all these people are relying on me not to kill themselves. Like, that'd be selfish, you know? Like, now they're obligating me to live another yeah. decade. Like, yeah. Until they get some other inspiration, you know, to, <laughs> to keep living. And then I can go quietly into the night. Yeah. You got to stay alive because you told them to stay alive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. So that's, um, that was number four, right? That was four. Um, and I, I didn't mean to rant again, but I, that story, man, that just, to me, that's a big one. Uh, yeah. the fifth one, um, uh, you guys, I'm, sh I'm sure you know who Jocko Willink is, you know, good old Jocko. Uh, and this one I love, man. I've just heard a lot more just in different things I've been looking up and on my, uh, when I work out, I listen to some muscle prodigy, alpha motivation type stuff sometimes. And there's like a remix on there. Um, and I'll ask you to do this too. Uh, just Google this afterwards. Just Google Jocko Willink good. 
have you heard this before I start on it? Have you heard his thing on good? No, um, I, I, I'm not terribly familiar with, uh, with, with Jocko. I, I had one of his energy drinks at the Wawa and See? I took a sip and I made, and I made the same face that he makes, you know, just kind of like, yeah, <laughs> it was, a, it was um, not great. I, like the white cranberry <laughs> tea thing. Yeah, I, yeah, I definitely made this. I made the Jocko face when I took a sip, but yeah, they're not. No, you're, good. Yeah, I mean, most of us have, you know, are, are at least somewhat familiar with, uh, you know, with his mission to, to, to better his, uh, his community and his environment. You know. Yeah. Um, so look that up. It's good because he, he, I, I thought about. I looked up the um, transcript too, and I thought about reading it, but I won't. Just look it up, and you can either listen to him say it or his remix on it, or read the transcript. But he was a SEAL commander. That's who he was. If you don't know who he was, he was a commander in the SEAL teams. And every time his guys would come to him with a problem, you know, his, he would have one word as a reply. Good. You're like, hey, sir, we, we didn't get the funding. Good. We can work with what we have. Hey, sir, we didn't get this. Good. Hey, sir, we didn't blah, blah, blah. Good. Then we can fix this. We can fix that. That's the, again, that's the perspective. Anytime there's an issue and you say yeah. good, that means you're still alive and you're still functioning. Short yeah. story with that. There's a lot more to it. It's much better <laughs> if you listen to him say it. It's much more poetic. But yeah, see, I, I can definitely tell that's the officer uh, in him talking. Because, mm -hmm. like, to me, it'd be like, oh, man, Sharp got shot in the face. Good. His wife was hot <laughs> and not single. Uh, you know? Like, yeah. always looking for the silver lining. Yeah. Uh, I see that somebody just said, uh, I think, Second favorite, I think they're referring, yeah, right here. Um, not to sidetrack it, I think they're probably referring to this. Uh, very quick read, it's a small book. It's like a little half small book. You may have even seen, it's called Make Your Bed. It's a Navy uh, SEAL Admiral giving a um, graduation speech to some college, I forget where. But the premise is, first thing you do in the morning is make your bed. Your first task of the day is done. That's going to continue on that trend of getting things done. Kind of like yeah. we mentioned earlier, it's, you can you can spiral downhill, you can spiral uphill. You get up, make your bed, first thing's done. Then you can kind of move on to that. It's such a short story of what that is. That's who I think Charlie was talking about. But yeah, man, I really like the whole Jocko good thing. Um, it is. It's a very officer thing. You point that out and it's like, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Sir, Sharp got his leg blown off. Good. The training <laughs> tourniquet, the training that we did for tourniquets would yeah. not have been a waste. But so those are the, it was tough last night too, man. When I started looking at the top five, we'll just call it the first five. Um, yeah. Call the first five. Because there's so much, man. I even wrote down like a, there's a whole wheel of things. Like, man, there's a ton of stuff. Like I've got two or three pages of notes just on what the first five were going to be. Um, but that was what I came up with for the first five. Um, one more, I just saw this at the bottom of the list. I'll throw it out there. Is just avoid comparison. Stop comparing yourself to shit. The other people, this and that, saying, oh, man, they've got that. I only have this. They have that. I want that. Yeah, there's there, uh, there was a TV show where there was this uh, the, the, the female main character and the male main character were, were bantering back and forth. And, you know, that's something how like something about like the number of partners they've slept with versus salary got brought up. And she was just like, you don't want to know either one of those numbers because it'll just make you jealous and sad. 
<laughs> and no, you're, you're right. Uh, comparison is the, the thief of happiness. And um, the only thing you should be comparing is where you are in your own goals, because you're not the same person now that you were a year ago, mm-hmm. and you won't be the same person next year that you are today. So the idea is that you see where you are, you set your destination, and then you just kind of compare to a realistic expectation of where you would be in your progression. Yep. You know, if you want to compete in a bodybuilding tournament, it's unfair to yourself to be down on your physique a week into it because you haven't had enough time to make a real difference. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, just, you know, you can't give up on something that easily. So if you're in your timeline and you're doing a realistic assessment of where you should be and, you know, comparing yourself to, to where your goals are, if you're not where you are, it's just like land nav. Like, okay, like take a second. <laughs> Gather your surroundings, you know, do a resection, find out where you are, shoot a new azimuth and, you know, move on to target. You know, there's a reason why ships have rudders and sails because your journey's not always straight. Sometimes you get blown off a little bit off course. Sometimes you have to correct mm-hmm. and it's okay. And so if you just compare yourself to other people, all you're going to do is rob yourself of the time you should be spending being proud of your own accomplishments. Mm-hmm. And all you know of them is what they're choosing to show you. Yeah. So I, I saw somebody talking about um, David uh, Goggins is another great book. Can't hurt me. That's another great book that I've read. Um, that's great. He he refers to the main the officer too. Um, I think he was enlisted. He's a great story though, man. Um, and he's I was about to say if the Taliban captured me, all they'd have to do is hit me in the in the shin with a scooter, and I would tell him all the running passwords. <laughs> like I am a man, I can't be hurt. <laughs> You know, I just see the scooter coming, and I'll tell him. Don't hit me with it. I'll tell you. <laughs> no, but the main, I read that book um, about a year and a half ago during deployment. The main thing that I remember is him saying to callous your mind. It's real easy to callous the hands through repetitions, things mm-hmm. like that. But callous your mind. Your mind is going to be strong. Then the body's going to do anything. Um, but yeah, dude. Um, and then you you used the earlier. You said Oodaloop. Um, if you don't know what OODA loop is, it's a great thing that you can implement. It stands for observe, orient, decide, act. It's a very simple thing. Um, it was created by, I forget what branch it was. It was a Marine fighter pilot, I believe. It was an Air Force pilot. Air Force pilot. Um, yeah, he's, he said something to the effect that he wasn't necessarily the best pilot when it came to just like pure flying skills and stuff like that. He always attributed to his, his success to the fact that he could outthink and outdecide his opponents where he would do that. He would observe, uh, orient or orient, observe, uh, decide and act. And so every time that the, the situation changed, like, okay, he's at X degrees and this angle and this elevation. Well, that jet's not going to be there forever. That plane's not going to be there forever. And you're not going to be where you are forever either, mm-hmm. which is also something really important to understand. Like if you're in a shitty position, you're not going to be there forever. Mm-hmm. You know, one day it'll just be a memory and you can't stop the clock. So being able to outthink his opponent and observe, you know, and decide and act and do all those things faster than his opponent mm-hmm. was what he uh, attributed his success to. Yeah. And the loop is just, you continue to do that all the time. Over and over. Uh, that's something else. It's great to look up. I'm glad that you used that um, term because I, I haven't used that in a while. Uh, also, it made me think when you were explaining that Wayne Gretzky, I think, is the one that said, go where the puck's going to be. Not where it is. You want to be where the puck is going to yeah. be, you know? So a lot of great stuff. Those are the first ones I came up with. Um, Charlie, I think you were asking about re-up and do. That's a, I think that's a big sidebar conversation I'm, I'm willing to have with you. If you'd like, I'll give you my opinion what it is. I'm sure Daniel will, too. 
Um, so we have one thing left on the agenda. We're at almost an hour and 20. Do you want to go into the last one? You still uh, yeah, sure. Okay. So this is another one that'd be great that I don't really know anything about. Um, is And you, I think, get paid for this. You said you're a consultant. It's uh, improving your social media platform, I guess. So the, uh, the first thing that is first is you have to identify your goal. Am I just trying to increase the platform? Am I trying to uh, drive traffic to a website? Am I trying to educate? Am I trying to entertain? Am I trying to inform? And each one of those kind of have a, uh, a different strategy. And the more you blend into, because, you know, of, of, you know, create a character, everybody wants to max out all the stats, but, you know, unless you're willing to pay big money, you're not going to be able to max out all those things at the same time. Cause mm -hmm. you know, you'd have to hire a staff, you'd have to get a consultant, you'd have to pay for ads and you know, stuff like that. So if you, if you're looking at your creative character and you're trying to decide where to put your points, the first thing you have to do is decide what your goal is. And so if you're just trying to, you know, become you know popular because you like the way it feels, if you're trying to educate or entertain, then each one of those are, are different strategies. And then so number two is find somebody that is in your arena or who is pitching to your vertical market and see what about they're doing, what you like and what they don't like. It's very similar to a command uh, philosophy where, you know, as a leader in the military, you're always kind of like seasoning your stew. You know what I mean? If you like something that somebody did, you put it into your own leadership style. If you don't like it, you promise yourself you'll never do it. And you, you remove that ingredient from your stew. And at the end of the day, you have something that's very uniquely blended to you and fits your leadership style. Because somebody who's soft-spoken, who tries to be the authoritative knife-hand person, it's not going to work for them. And vice versa, mm -hmm. if somebody is used to being more of the direct leadership type and they're trying to be more mentor or guiding it's not going to come off as genuine so same thing with that like you have to create a brand that is unique to either your business or yourself and it has to be genuine because a lot of people can sniff that out particularly in the veteran space where they'll be quick to call you a fuckhead if yeah. they think that you're not doing what they like um and so those those are some of the first um preliminary things that you have to do when you're giving yourself an honest assessment of your brand. And you have to ask like, all right, if I have a t-shirt company and maybe I'm not the most handsome guy, maybe I should get somebody who's more handsome to you know, my clothing Yeah, because people want to imagine what they're going to look like in the shirt. And if you don't meet you know, their expectation of beauty, then it may not work out as well. So it's kind of having that honest representation of, what you're uh, putting out there. And is this something that people who have never met me and don't know anything about my story and how nice of a guy I really am and you know all the good things that I've done in the world, people who have never met me before, don't know me from anyone on the street, and they see this, what's their first opinion gonna be of me? You know? And so it's like, you feel that you put in something because it's you know part of your heritage, you grew up in this town, or you know this was an inside joke. And to you, it means the world. But you have to step out of that reality for a second and understand what it's like to be a consumer who's never in, in, um, who's never seen your brand before. And so you kind of have to get some outside opinion and you know find out um, if what you're doing is actually in line with the image you're trying to represent. Because you only get a, a couple seconds of observation before somebody makes a decision. Mm -hmm. Think about how many posts you scroll by before you like one. Yeah. 
it's the same thing. You're like, oh, why am I not getting all these likes? You know, like I, um, you know, I put this stuff out here. I think my stuff is as good as anyone else. And it's like, well, you have to understand what arena are you competing? What image are you representing? And is this something that's based off your own self-image based on your 35 years or whatever here on earth? So you have a very well-seasoned image of yourself versus someone who maybe has never met you before and you come off the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And then you have to accept the bad with the good. <laughs> yeah, like I know my uh, my weaknesses and my strength and I'm not, uh, I'm not modeling Speedos on my page, you know? <laughs> That's yep. not what the people want to see. They want to see me being suicidal and depressed. And uh, <laughs> I, I will say, though, once uh, once you kind of get to a point in your life where things start to get a little better, as I have in the last couple of years, um, your comedy suffers. I've, I've talked to some people who are writers and uh, like Garrett Jones. He's a best-selling author and he was uh, an Iraq and Afghan veteran. He was a, um, a part of the, the UK military. He was a, a Welsh infantryman. And he said, man, he's like, man, like I do my best writing when I'm suicidal. Like that's where my, my creativeness comes out. So, you know, as, as with all things, uh, take the good with the bad. Yeah. And I think like, to me, this is, this is relative. Like once you get over yourself, life becomes a lot easier. Yeah. You know, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but I, I, did my best for the most part. You know, I got over myself a decade ago because it just makes shit so much easier, man. You know, yeah. I I know, the you know, so it is what it is type of thing. And I know some people hate that phrase. Some people use it, but dude, we're not here that long on this earth. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can't stress out over everything. Yeah. So, it, yeah. So pick up those starfish and throw them back in the fucking water when you can, you know? Well said, man. Well said. So, yeah. Um, well, hey, Daniel, dude, it's been a pleasure uh, getting to know the last few days, and I really appreciate you stepping down to my humble level down here and joining me on my platform. Uh, it means a lot to me. I really appreciate it, man. Um, I hope to speak to you more in the future. Um, if you guys have any last-minute questions – shoot them out you know we'll just kind of bs for another minute to give you an opportunity uh for some questions um and again charlie feel free to hit me up man because i i went back into the service so i've served in two branches i'll give you my opinion uh and my experience that's all i can do um so daniel uh any any closing remarks i just say be well Mm -hmm. and with all things, you, you're kind of the, the shepherd of your own life. And you have to sometimes um, have an honest conversation with yourself and say, you know, maybe this is something I need to do or maybe this is something I need to avoid mm-hmm. because, you know, you know yourself and, yeah, you, you plan your life. And you know, there are things in life that we have to steer our ship towards and things that we have to steer it away from. And that really comes to knowing yourself and seeking improvement in your life. Because at the end of the day, people will care about you, but no one cares about your future as much as you do. Mm-hmm. No one else is going to see things through your eyes. No one else is going to feel, you know, the, the, the impacts of your decisions nearly as much as, as you do long term. And so it's just kind of having that honest conversation of making a, a consorted effort to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe 
whatever that means to you, taking a hot bath, maybe putting some moisturizer on, maybe doing some yoga, you know, maybe not texting that ex back, whatever the case is, like, you know, just, just take care of yourself because, you know, you, you mean, you mean a lot to this world and, you know, we all have a responsibility to leave this place a little bit better than we found it. Yeah. And uh, to use Charlie's verbiage from earlier, man, if you're lucky enough to find your tribe uh, and you have that, you know, appreciate it. Um, Cause I've, I've, shit, I'm already 40, man. Um, I've had some years where I was down and I pulled back from society and I didn't want to be around people. I didn't want friends. I didn't want to communicate with people. And then I've found, I came out of that and I found a tribe you know, I have people that do care about me and want to see me do good and that I know that I can talk to if I need to and and use that, appreciate that and take advantage of that if you have it, you know, because yeah. it, it's it's a lot, man. You you really learn to appreciate that when you don't have it. Yeah. So, you know, appreciate that. Appreciate those people. Don't be afraid to show appreciation to those people. A guy that I've got to meet too through doing these um Marcus, uh, he loves to say that is like, just show genuine appreciation of people. Could be for no reason. Doesn't matter. Dan, I appreciate what you do, man. Appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. I do. I appreciate that. No. Yeah, and, and likewise, um, it's all about, uh, you know, human connection and mm -hmm. the idea that none of us in life will be too important to ever be able to not have an honest conversation about things that matter to you, you know? And you know, every time that I, I start to get a big head about something, I'm like, oh, man, like Taylor Swift gets more likes per post than I have followers total, you know, so that that really kicks me in the nuts and puts me back in my box. And it's kind of kind of a weird thing to spending the majority of my social media career focusing strictly in the military uh, social media community, because it's such a it's such a, a fine niche, you know, like it's just a small sliver of the social media pie. But at the end of the day, these are my people, and I may not have uh, you know, served next to you or worn the same uniform or even been from the same country, but a lot of our experiences are pretty universal, and people who have been through that, people who have you know, shed blood with me will be my brothers. So. The best way I could think to say that is like we've kind of seen through the same lens. Yeah. That doesn't mean we've had the same experience, but that means that we've been through the same shit. That, like, that you're right, man. The military, this niche is, is we're weird. We're different. You know, we've seen and done things and our sense of humor is different. Our perspective's different. We've seen yeah. that civilians, and it's not that they're wrong for not doing it, but they just didn't see what we saw, did what we did, thought of things the way we think of things. So it's it's different, man, and I like it. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, thank you to everyone who, who tuned in. And, uh, yeah, we'll we'll keep marching. Absolutely, Daniel from Pop Smoke Media, man. I really appreciate it. Hope to talk again in the future. Everybody that joined with us, thank you very much. And you watch us in the future, thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk again soon, man.